Welcome. There's nothing quite like a viral pandemic to tighten your focus and bring out productivity. <laughs> That's something we learned this last week. This message tackles the problem of laziness or procrastination or whatever you call it, maybe just simple lack of motivation. Sometimes we feel like we want to get something done, but we just have something else working against us. How do you overcome that? Well, I think the Bible actually has quite a lot to say about it. Let's look into that, shall we? Welcome to the LWCC Virtual Church. This is a brand new uh, world for us, and we had to conscript somebody who was not normally a part of our greeter team, but we've got one of our friendly greeters ready to greet you today. Denny is all prepared. He had become a little bit uh, resourceful in creating uh, his own mask there. That's a coffee filter, by the way. This is our order of worship. We've already come through the coronavirus response by Dr. Pipe and a call to worship. So this is where I get to uh, present a word from God's word, which I think is timely. Uh, we talked about, as elders, should we change the message from what we had prepared leading up uh, whoops, to today? And I decided that, no, I think it's going to be beneficial to all of us. And so here's something that I found from a friend of mine as well. I, I thought this was appropriate. This is a paraphrase. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or where will we buy toilet paper and hand sanitizer? Coming to you from the contemporary original version inspired by desperation or COVID translation. Uh, I know this is kind of a silly paraphrase, but you know, there are people who have responded this way in public. You can tell that there is that fear that uh, Dr. Pipe just mentioned a few minutes ago. There's a pervasive sense of anxiety out there when you go to any of our grocery stores, especially when you arrive at that aisle and all the shelves are empty when it comes to a certain kind of paper product. A couple of announcements to let you know that God is still at work and he's concerned about everybody, not just here in our local area, but I want you to know that through this fairly small, relatively speaking, fairly small church, God has connected us globally in such a way that we can see evidence that God is at work in so many ways. First of all, some of you uh, may not know because you weren't with us here locally for our worship service last week that we had a missionary speak to us. I'm purposefully leaving his name out because he ministers in a country that would be considered a closed country. And for security reasons, we're keeping him unidentified. <clears throat> but some of the things he shared were incredible. It sounded to me like some of the things we would read in the book of Acts. Uh, the explosive growth in the country that he's working in is pretty incredible. Uh, but because of that explosive growth, the government is a little bit scared. They're not used to seeing that kind of growth in any kind of a people group the way it has been growing through the Christians who are just taking the country by storm. Well, he was leaving us after a two-week stint inside the U.S., and he was heading back, trying to get back to his country, but he got stranded as far west as San Francisco before he could hop on his next plane. He was going to be trying to find his way through a couple of different countries to make it back to his home uh, where he's working now, and he got stuck there. So we were praying for him. Some of us posted that prayer request on our Facebook page for the church, and many of you prayed. God is answering that prayer because a friend of his knew of another friend, and he's being put up now in what was a Christian camp. Now somebody owns that property. It's just a ranch. It's a, a bit dilapidated, dilapidated, but at least it's housing. And he has access to Wi-Fi. So he said he's hunkered down. He's working on some of the Sunday school materials that uh, he showed us last week. 
And you should know as well that those of us who pray during our worship service for the people who are training new Sunday school workers, you should know what happened as a result of that. He was saying that they were hoping for 30 new Sunday schools to be started this week, starting today, as an outgrowth of the training that happened last week. Uh, something changed, however, and they had more people show up to take the training than they expected. So 37 new Sunday schools are beginning in that country where that work is going on. It's just an explosive situation and it's kind of incredible. You should also know that because we had a little bit of a shift in some of our mission support budget, we as a church are picking up some support for this particular missionary uh, starting immediately. So he's going to become one of our new supported missionaries as well. Also, the work in Haiti, as you know, things took a turn a few months ago there because there was some violence that erupted in that country and we were unable to take our training team down this time so that we could continue to help train pastors there. We had our first graduating class last year, 45 pastors out of the original 60 uh, have actually graduated with their certificate going through a four-year program. Mark Sturkin, our missionary there, uh, has done a marvelous work and he was starting a brand new cohort. It was a new group of pastors and uh, they are actually beginning that new work, but we were unable to start that. So we're looking for ways to try to use technology to make, maybe make this kind of situation work or pre-recorded message or something so we can keep training. However, the work in Haiti is still going on and you guys at the end of last Sunday's service, those of you who were here at Living Water, uh, participated in this uh, auction. It was a silent auction. A lot of lovingly handmade goods, many baked goods. Uh, thank you, Tom and Louise, for holding back that pecan pie for us. I enjoyed it very much. And we raised so far, coming in, $1,656 to be able to send for the work in Haiti. I'm hoping that that's going to be all the way up to about 2000 by the time everybody finishes their gifts to the work in Haiti, and that's going to make a big difference down there. So just so you'll know, even though we have a pandemic going around the globe, and even though we're stuck in our houses, God's still at work, and you're still reaching people and making a difference in people's lives because of what you're doing. Every day, this is today's message topic, every day I'm allowing Christ to overcome laziness. Now, this was brought to me uh, from a friend who had suggested this whole series, in fact, and I think he's watching today. Hi, Rick. Thank you for this great idea. I realize that this is a problem for me as well. Every day I'm allowing Christ to overcome my laziness so I can be productive. I don't know about you, but there are certain tasks which for me become difficult to complete. Why is that? I think it's because we have this outside force that would love us not to do certain things, not to complete certain things, especially as they relate to the kingdom. This is my grandfather, Willard Hardcastle. He's uh, with the Lord now, but he was one of the most productive people I have ever met in my life. He was only about five feet, one inch tall, and he could run circles around guys half his age. And he was busy, not only in work uh, in the church as a minister of music and previous to that as a pastor, but then just for therapy, he started building things. He would build church buildings wherever he would go in West Texas. And when he made it to Arizona, he started a new church in Sedona, and it wound up helping build that church building as well. What a productive guy. The thing that I saw about him was that he was so focused, so single-minded about things that were important, that he didn't let interruptions carry him away from what his real mission was. And I think that's a part of it. Purpose-filled productivity 
is good stewardship. That's the word we see most often in Scripture. It, uh, it's something that's given you such purpose that it's easier to focus on it because it drives you to focus on that specific purpose. That's why we need to find out what God's purposes for us are so that we can be productive in the right areas. I found this uh, this week. I thought it was very apropos. No greater love. Widow puts the last toilet paper roll in the offering plate. That's kind of what we think about stewardship. And although we're getting a chuckle out of that, because that's tend to, that tends to be what we think of when we think of the word stewardship, is passing the plate, taking an offering, whatever. But based on what Dr. Pipe told us about some of the ways we can reach our friends and neighbors, who knows? It may be that one of the best ways you can minister to somebody is finding out that your next-door neighbor has run out. And if you've got 12 rolls, and if you give them two, you might make a big impact on their life. So it really could be a part of our stewardship. Stewardship, if you're going to look for a biblical word, you probably will find the word stewardship in some modern translations. You probably won't find productivity. I looked it up. I only found in a couple of translations four different times where the word productivity shows up in the Bible. What it means, though, is just making the most of what you've been given. So if we're going to look for a Bible word that equates with us, I'll show you one in just a second. I forgot I had this slide, too. It's not how much you get done. Some people get a lot done. They're busy. They're running around like chickens with their heads cut off. It's what you get done. It's our focus that makes us productive. Finding out how to prioritize. I think it's interesting that this pandemic is forcing almost everybody on the planet now to focus on what we can actually get done. What's the most important thing that we need to do right now? Crises have a tendency to ramp that up. And it really focuses you much more quickly than we might normally get focused. I was grateful that we had a whole team of people at Living Water focusing incredibly, because in 48 hours, once we discovered that we could not be in the school because of the governor's mandate in our state, they got this uh, technology running and the website up to date, thanks Becky, so that we could actually have virtual church today. That's what happens when we're focusing and we're purpose-driven. I remember back in college when I was supposedly writing a research paper. It's amazing how much other work I could get done while I should have been writing that paper. I would start making my bed, even though I normally didn't make my bed. I would start washing the few dishes that I had gotten dirty that week from the popcorn popper that I cooked everything in. It's amazing. You could get so much done. But was that research paper being written? Eh, probably not. That tends to be what we can do. We can finally busy, busy ourselves with things that make us feel good about ourselves but we might not be focusing on the things that are the most important, and that's good stewardship if we're going to be productive. So productively, productivity equals fruitfulness, and here's the word. All of you Greek scholars out, out there, raise your hands and say the word out loud with me now. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't know it either. Uh, it's karpos. If you're going to pronounce it in English, karpos. You might think that that sounds familiar. Why is that? If you think in Latin, starts with a C, carpe, as in carpe diem, which means pluck the day. It comes from plucking the fruit, seize the day, seize the opportunity, become fruitful. Those two concepts are interwoven together. So the Bible word, if we're going to look for how to be productive, has to do with carpos. This is to my Father's glory that you carpos much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You're bearing much fruit. You're being productive because you're focusing on the right things and weeding out those other things that are keeping you from being highly focused on the things that are the most important. It's to my Father's glory, it says in John 15, 8. When I bear fruit, I'm bringing glory to God. Fruitfulness 
if you think about it that way, is actually an act of worship. Glory to God simply means that we're reflecting his worth, his value, his omniscience, his other character qualities to other people. So anytime you're doing something based on the giftedness that he's given you, because he's given every one of us gifts, if we're using those gifts, those gifts to bring him glory, then that fruitfulness that comes out of your life is an act of worship because it reflects on the gift giver. Bearing fruit also shows that you are his disciple. The branch reveals the vine. If I went to an apple tree and I plucked an apple off that branch, I wouldn't have to say, gee, I wonder what kind of tree this is. <laughs> I would know it because the fruit reveals what kind of plant is producing the fruit. And Jesus had said, I am the vine. So if we're being a fruitful disciple, if we're bearing the kinds of fruit that we're going to look at in just a few minutes, we'll see that we're revealing the vine to other people as well. And God's desire is that I bear lasting fruit. Not like those poor shriveled up cucumbers that I tried to grow in Phoenix when we lived out there. We had a carport rather than a garage. And I put a trellis up on one side of the carport and grew some cucumber vines, hoping that it would create some shade because shade is a real precious commodity out there. Rick, you know what I'm talking about. You used to live out there in the desert as well. But the cucumbers that were trying to start to grow on there just got to be about a half inch long and they just kind of went, they shriveled up. They were awful. We couldn't even eat a bite from those cucumbers. So it wasn't lasting fruit. It just grew up quickly from the vine and then the, the heat and the drought just ran them away. You did not choose me. This is Jesus speaking in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and, say it with me now, bear fruit, fruit that will last. He's wanting lasting fruit. Christ will make his home in your hearts. Those of us who have accepted Jesus into our life, we're building our life around him. He will make his home in our hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. How do you grow a root down into God's love? You put them down into God's word because that's how we become familiar with God's love. So there's balance involved in this. This is a, a parenthetical note that's important for us. Productivity also requires rest. Farmers know this if they're growing any kind of uh, crops. You can uh, overwork the land and you need to let that land rest from time to time. Same thing, God gave us that Sabbath principle. And finding the balance between productive rest, which means rest that's rest restorative, meaningful margins in our life that result in restoration, versus the kind of rest that still makes you feel restless and you really don't feel rested at all. That comes from knowing what to focus on even in our resting times. I can imagine when Jesus uh, was being looked for by the disciples and they say, where is he? Oh, he's out there somewhere. I'll guarantee you, Jesus was not out there resting by watching Netflix. He wasn't on Hulu. He wasn't uh, texting his friends. He was out there checking in with his heavenly father to find out what his real priorities were. That was meaningful margin. It was a restorative kind of rest for him. And sometimes we need to build in those margins into our lives because we're tempted to get off into other areas that we're fooling ourselves into thinking we're being restful when we're just creating more anxiety in our lives. So here's the kind of fruit that we're looking for. If you're going to say, well, what kind of fruit are we talking about that we're supposed to exhibit to others, that we're supposed to bear? First of all, the fruit of repentance. Without this fruit, you can't get the other kinds of fruit. 
Matthew 3, 7, and 8. We're talking about John the Baptist when he was preparing people for Jesus' coming, and he was saying, you need to repent. A couple of weeks ago, just before our other missionary friends spoke, I talked about two paths, and Jesus talked about that in his uh, Sermon on the Mount. And he would say there are two paths. You can go down this path, and you can have that tree over there that's bearing some sweet, wonderful, beautiful fruit. Or you can go down this path and find that other tree that has poison fruit. Which are you going to have? It takes repentance to turn from one path and to get on the other path and to go toward God instead of away from him. So that fruit of repentance is necessary so that we can start bearing all these other kinds of fruit, like the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. These are the character qualities that start to emerge in our lives because we're tapped into the vine and Jesus' Holy Spirit is starting to bring us into alignment with his spirit so that we develop love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faith and gentleness and self-control because we start to look a lot more like Christ as his fruit, his character qualities are being lived out in us. Another kind is the fruit of another disciple. You think about it, somebody had to share Christ with you so that you could become his disciple. The same is true for us. Now it's your turn, our turn. We need to display these kinds of fruits so that somebody else that we know can eventually have enough information, enough faith-filled people in that person's life for them to say, I want what they've got. I need that kind of fruit. I want to repent. I want to go down that other path. I want to build my life on the solid rock rather than on sinking sand. I want the sweet fruit instead of the poison fruit. And that's when they can start to develop their life around Jesus Christ the way we are now as disciples. And then there's the fruit of ministry. And this is something that grows out of every one of our spiritual gifts that Paul talks about in Romans 12:5. We're all different parts of the body. We're all made differently. But the reason we're made differently is so that we can collectively do something together that we can't do by ourselves. That's why we need each other. And especially at times like this, in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, we need to stay connected in every way possible, as Steve Pipe mentioned just a few minutes ago. So the fruit of ministry is based on our shape that we've talked about. We've got one of those uh, shape series listed on our uh, our website, if you'd like to listen to those podcasts, you can go into more detail about that. It's based on our spiritual gifts, our heart or your passion, our abilities, our personality, and your experience. That's your shape. That's the way God has made you so that you can live out your shape to help other people. So some things you can do to bear biblical fruit. You can put down deep roots. I copied this from a West Coast pastor, Rick Warren. He said this, and I liked it because it's memorable. There's no fruit without a root. It was kind of like those cucumbers. The roots were so shallow that it was picking up just enough water to get some of the leaves out there that looked pretty luscious, but it wasn't deep enough to really tap in so that they could bring the living water up to that fruit. Put down deep roots. What are we putting these roots down into? I mentioned it a moment ago, God's word. That's where you find out about where God's love is all about. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. My father worked doing irrigation work through Arizona Public Service Company in the Valley of the Sun back in Phoenix and west of Phoenix near Buckeye. And he would help, as an engineer, he would help them install these huge diesel engines that would pump water out of wells and run them out into irrigation ditches, and then they could irrigate the fields to grow cotton. 
I would see huge trees right out in the middle of the desert, and I would think, how did that tree grow there? It'd be a 40 or 50 foot tall cottonwood tree, strong as could be. It was planted close to one of those original wells, and it was close to an irrigation ditch where they would have water running in it almost every week. We can be like that tree planted by the water. Even though things can get to be hot when the heat is on, when the drought comes, we can still be strong because our roots are tapping into that living water. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Let me ask you, those of you who are watching here live today, what things in your life make you feel like, ooh, the heat is on? What things make you anxious? Think about it. You could write that down and say, God, I want you to help me identify and then give you those things as a gift to say, I'm going to trust you with these things. I don't have to fear because I'm going to put my roots deep down into your word and I know that you've got it covered. And then when the drought comes, you know what that feels like to have a spiritual drought? You feel like, man, I just got no oomph. I don't feel like reading the word. I don't feel like praying. And when I do pray, I don't feel like I'm getting any answers. What are we going to do when those times come? Where are we going to turn? What do you do when the drought comes? Well, we can become a redwood or we, we can become a tumbleweed. You've heard about the redwood trees, probably. They grow magnificently, but the reason they can withstand such high winds and even the heat and the drought is because their roots intertwine with each other and create this gigantic, strong root system. Now, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say this. One of the things you can do to avoid the heat and the drought is to be involved in a small group. Big surprise there. We just started to, to get a few new groups organized before all this pandemic craze started, and we had to start cloistering ourselves a little bit. But guess what? We're discovering new technology. So we're going to be probably making use of that technology very shortly so that we can have even small groups from our homes so we can get things going with that. But as soon as we can start getting back into a semblance of normalcy, not too soon, as Dr. Pipe warned us for good reason, but when we can get back into a sense of normalcy, I really want to keep urging all this year for us to focus on being in a small group. Let me give you a personal testimony about how this has made a difference in my own life. When one of our uh, wonderful people at church who's a musician kept bugging me, thank you, Daniela, for bugging me nicely, to join a community band so I could dig out my trombone and dust it off after probably three decades of not playing it. I decided to finally do that. And having an ensemble to join with once a week for two hours, I show up, it gives me a reason to play my horn again. And I've noticed that instead of leaving it in the closet every day, I want to be prepared to be with that group. And so I've been playing my trombone almost every day. I started with 10 minutes until my lips got fried, but now I'm up to, a, I can do an hour at a stretch and I can still play a little bit because I want to do my best for that group. Same thing happens if you're in a small group studying God's word together. If you haven't had much success reading the Bible daily by yourself, get involved in a small group. I think you'll find that the, the opposite is true. You might think, oh, well, if I'm in a small group, I don't need to read my Bible every day. I think the opposite is true. You actually start to be in your word every day because you want to bring what you're studying into that group, and you all want to uh, significantly contribute into each other's lives. For those who are not redwoods, they're tumbleweeds. These two guys were out in Arizona. They were probably on their way to virtual church today. Uh, tumbleweed looks really luscious when it's green, but they come up really quickly when there's just been a little bit of rain. But as you know, 
it just breaks off right down close to the, the ground. And they'll blow wherever the wind happens to be blowing. You know what happens today a lot? There are people who are tumbleweeds in a couple of different ways. One way is as soon as something, uh, they get their nose tweaked, they have a couple of people who are against them or they disagree with them, they just run off and join other people who are like-minded. And we can get ourselves into this echo chamber by keeping ourselves only around people who are exactly like us. The only way we're going to keep from becoming a tumbleweed and blow away from people who disagree with us is to develop those fruits of the Spirit, patience, long-suffering, forbearance, kindness, gentleness. Love those people enough to listen to what they really have to say so we can learn from them and so they can see that we truly care about them. And then we can start putting down roots, especially if we're in the Word and tapped into the living water every day and especially if we're in a small group, because then we can come back and debrief what our week was like and go back and pour our lives into other people, even if they are different than we are. There are a lot of these things that are, that are like Paul talked about. People are blown about by every wind of doctrine. It's easy for people to want something new and exciting. Let me uh, recommend a good song to you by Sarah Groves. It's called The Word. If you don't uh, if you have something to write down, uh, have a pencil or paper, write that down. The Word by Sarah Groves. And after this worship service, I'd like you to go to YouTube and just search for that and listen to that song. And it taps into exactly what I'm talking about here. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, that's a prerequisite. That comes with that fruit of repentance. As your Lord, then you must continue to follow him. How do you do that? Well, you let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. You'll be like a wellspring of thankfulness because you're tapped into that wonderful source. Secondly, in order to bear good fruit, we need to pull some weeds in our lives. Remember Jesus' parable about the different kinds of soils? Well, as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear but as they go on their way, they're choked by the worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. Which things does he refer to that apply to us? The worries. Man, have you ever seen so many people worried in all your life? I was at our grocery store just a couple of days ago picking up a couple of items. Coffee was a big one. If we ran out of coffee, <laughs> that would be a crisis in our household. Can I get an amen? That's right. But I got some coffee and creamer, and I went down that aisle and looked at the empty shelves that used to be toilet paper, and I saw people worried. I heard people making exclamations as they saw that shelf for themselves because they were worried. We don't have to be worried if we're in Christ Jesus because he's going to take care of us. The riches, some people are so busy making money that they don't make a life. I don't think that applies to most of us, but it could to some. And then the pleasures of this life, I've noticed that I think it's almost a pandemic right now of escapism. It's so easy for us to escape into whatever thing is giving us those temporary hits of endorphins, some of those catechelamines, but it's a fake kind of high. It's something that makes us feel only temporarily satisfied rather than tapping into things that are going to bear lasting fruit because the fruit does not mature from escapism. We have to figure out which are the weeds in my life that I need to grab and yank them out so that I can focus on the things that will develop lasting fruit. And then sometimes, even if we do our own weeding, there are still areas of our life that may be strongholds, and we need to allow God to do some pruning. I had a shrub. Uh, it was this huge hedge, probably 40 feet long, and it started out being about four feet high when we bought the house that we lived in 
in the town that we lived in prior to moving closer to the church. And I used to be able to easily get my hedge trimmer, trimmer and go out there and lop off the top and give it a the top and give it a flat top. But it kept creeping up higher and higher until after about 10 years, I was on a ladder, a six foot ladder, and I was reaching up as far as I could reach just to try to top that thing off. I finally had to hire somebody to come in and cut it way down. And I was just ashamed at what it looked like when he got done. He got this thing and he took it off. It looked horrible. It looked skeletal. It was awful. But you know what happened? That guy knew what he was doing because even though it looked like he had cut everything down that was fruitful, it started to fill in very quickly. And within two seasons, it was a gorgeous uh, waist level hedge that looked terrific. Sometimes God may do things in your life and it feels painful. And it may even be a productive part of your life. It doesn't necessarily have to be just the dead limbs. He may cut something out of your life that you love dearly or that's close to your heart. But that's okay because God knows you better than you do. And he knows that he's preparing you for some fruitfulness that's going to be lasting fruit that's so much sweeter than the fruit you're experiencing currently. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. It's tough to give things up. Sometimes we have to give up our plans or our dream or our big scheme. Sometimes it's your idea, even contributing in a meeting with other people. Sometimes you have to think, okay, part of my idea was good, but that other person has a better idea and together we'll come up with the best idea and you have to let some things go. But however God is pruning us, we need to allow him to prune so that he can bring forth good fruitfulness. And then we need to wait patiently and expect a harvest. Waiting patiently is tough. I know our missionary friend who's out there in Northern California is trying to wait patiently. His doctor friend had, had said, I think you probably should not try to travel back to your home country until May. Can you imagine winding up all the way in some foreign state with people you don't know and having to sit tight for weeks, waiting patiently? Let's pray for him. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. There's some, some things in our lives that if we'll give it to the Lord and we die to self, he'll plant that and bring forth some things that are a hundredfold what we would have done had we not allowed that thing to die in our lives. I'm the vine, he says, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you remain in me, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do no thing. You can do nothing. So don't give up. Even if you're in God's waiting room and you've been trying to bear fruit, but you feel like my life is not productive. I don't feel like I'm really satisfied in doing much of anything. I tend to be lazy. I tend to be a procrastinator. Things just aren't getting done. Start bearing fruit by getting into the word. Get with a small group. Make sure that you're tapped into the vine. Put down roots deep into God's word. Intertwine those roots with other believers. And then do some weed pulling and allow God to do some pruning. And then pray and wait and expect a harvest. Like my dad, as I spoke about three weeks ago in that silly pecan tree that took years before it finally started to develop fruit. And then we had pecan pies like you wouldn't believe. But he was faithful, he didn't give up, and he kept expecting a great harvest. Now, our reach response. A couple of things that Dr. Pike mentioned in his presentation, I want to reiterate. 
If you can bear fruit by being a part of our reach response to our communities, wherever you're located, you may be in South Carolina, some of you, maybe in Colorado, some of you. I know we've got a couple, I think one from Florida. Great to have you with us, but wherever you are, now we can reach into our communities by being God's love with skin on. And whatever we can do to reach others by meeting practical needs, let's use our shape, minister through which, uh, through those uh, gifts that God has given us and reach other people. And then I want to give you a new way of thinking about the doxology, a song goes like this. Let's wash our hands in one accord. And as we wash, let's praise the Lord. For 20 seconds, you and me, let's wash and sing doxology. If you want to make sure that you're washing your hands for 20 seconds, just sing one verse of the actual doxology. And if you put the amen on there, that's an extra five seconds. That should be beneficial as well. So some people have asked me, I thought I'd throw this in there at the very end. A couple of people said, Pastor, if we're going to not be showing up at church and we can't put our offering in the offering plate, what do we do? Well, this is really more for our congregation here in Michigan. Some of you who are visiting from outside, don't use this as a, an appeal for you to give to us. You keep supporting your local churches, all right? Uh, this is just a stopgap for you, and I pray that you're going to just pour yourselves into the lives of the people God's given you where you are. But for the Living Water folks, there are three ways that you can give. One, mailing a good old-fashioned written-out check to P.O. Box 970-166, Ypsilanti, Michigan, 48197. Or some people have what they would call a bill pay. They may call it something different from your bank. And a lot of people have said that there's no charge to that. We have a couple of folks who have done that monthly, and they just have their tithe mailed to that same P.O. Box, 970-166. And the bank does it for them, takes it right out as an automatic withdrawal from their uh, checking or savings account. And then we now have an online giving portal as well through Stripe, which is the widget that we've installed. Thank you, Becky. <laughs> on our website, and that link is very easily identifiable through our virtual church page. If you need help finding it, just uh, contact one of us. Or if you have a prayer request or anything else that you'd like to send to us through our website, it says contact us. You can fill out that form and write your prayer request or comment in the little comment section there below. And we'll be more than happy to answer a question, clarify something that if it wasn't clear, and we'll certainly pray for you. 